All right. Uh, you want to do a show? Uh, let's do a show. All right. Let me, uh, this is the part where I pretend that I'm turning on the music and pretending uh, that it's sure. bothering you and you have to pretend. Yeah, I was going to say, should I pretend? Should I be like, oh, dude, uh, the music. <laughs> uh. I'll do, I'll give you a bunch of, here, what I can give you. I'll give you some, uh, later on on my phone, I'll record some Nick Nolte sound effects. Okay. Just disgruntled, disgruntled Nick Nolte. And then you'll just uh, get back like, uh, 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 yeah, damn it. Uh, God damn it. He was so good at that disgruntledness noises. A lot the of guy good. always when they showed his um when he first got that DUI, that mugshot came out, and it was like, oh, look at how crazy Nick Nolte. I mean, he sounds he sounds like he looks right there. He's always sounded just like he looks. Like, ah, god damn, button my shirt, god damn it. Like you always know, just like angry. And I don't feel like Googling it right now, but I'm almost for sure <laughs> I remember seeing a uh, uh, a news article on him saying he was going to live forever by eating cottage cheese or some some rando shit if you google oh, it oh really pretty, oh yeah yeah he had a whole thing and so the funny Nick thing Nolte went is, Gary Busey well so he talked about this whole living life longer health thing and then you look at him a year later and he looked more fucked up than he did three years previous you're just like okay wow. so pretty clear yeah. I think it's one of those ones where like he was doing that and some sort of drugs on the side along that's with it that they're like dude if I eat cottage cheese I'll be great I'm also gonna do cocaine and drink a handle <laughs> of vodka a day and then and hope we, that I look dandy if there's look- if there's one thing John that I that I I, I want to make sure that before I send my kids off to the real world I share with them Folks, there are certain things you can fucking do in your life that you can't undo later. So there's not enough cottage cheese in the world to undo the amount of no. drugs you think that you can do in your youth. Just keep that in mind. No. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous, by the way. I'm Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. Uh, but yeah, that's that's going to be a big key. I, you are a big baseball lover, so I found this. I've been following Ryan Dempster. Oh, dude, Dempster's here. the best. And uh, the he... Best. He posted this, uh, and it's obviously jokes, but this is the uh, new proposed baseball rules for 2020. So here's here's what he wrote. Uh, there'll be a seventh inning sanitizing. No more throwing around the horn. Fans must bring their own ketchup. Wenning sings. I don't know what this one is. I didn't get this. Wenning... W-E-N-I-S-I-N-G-S will replace high fives. I don't know what winning sings are. Again, that that falls into yeah, the... That, that might be some sort of insider, like... Yeah. Um, I don't know, jargon. Yeah, this is a... Gotta Google it. Uh, umpires will call balls and strikes via Zoom. After huh. a foul ball, a n- new baseballs will be delivered by a specially trained Raven. Two modified Roombas will officially take over as Bat Boys, courtesy of Tesla. Players must place all empty sunflower seed shells into the convenient dugout incinerators. If a fan, this is my favorite one. If a fan catches a ball, they will be promptly removed from the stadium and placed inside a disinfected chamber. chamber for the <laughs> Dude, I can see this though. When you, I hadn't thought about this until literally right now when you said the thing about umpires calling balls and strikes via zoom, this, if they're going to bring baseball back, and they want to try a um, robot ump, like a computerized digital umpire, this is the season and the time. All the wackadoosh, and I'm not saying that's wackadoo. I love the umpire um, dynamic. I love the human element of the whole thing. But um, 
any wackadoo shit that they want to try out in baseball, like anything weird. Like let's say a team wanted to try shorts again via the White Sox. You know what I mean? Anything weird. If they get to come back this season at all, this is the season to do it. Make yeah, this the off. weirdest season ever dude uh, have them wear sombreros dude have everyone wear a poncho change the fabric of the uniform wear shorts i play with change the ball fucking let them use cork bats for a game like just go insane with the season like why um, not all right um if this was a uh if this was a town hall i'd be like um thank you, you can <laughs> town hall, sir. thank you for sharing no, your thoughts no. Your Honor, I'm not a judge. Your and then, Honor, <laughs> and then let's go to the next person. Yeah, I'd like to. Um, I would like to counter what he said by, "Why don't you guys just do what you normally do, and we'll move on." That sounds like a good idea. Thank you, thank you for guy who suggested sombreros and shorts. However, you want to go up really again? To, not really going to drive the attendance up the way you wanted to. That's like well, that one. I don't know. So hear but me out. Not- that's the theory that they used to have on YouTube, that if you wanted to get people to look at your video, you needed to have the freeze frame of breasts. The problem with that is as soon as you come looking for the boobies and there are no boobies, you've severely disappointed people as to what they really came for, which was was that or the freak show, right? So I, I think you well, have to be careful how far you sell the product. Okay, so fine. Yeah, you have to be careful. You, let's say you don't do anything like the cork bath thing, but... You know, as far as like any other kind of rule implementing, like National League getting the designated hitter or that kind of thing, you know, this is the season to sort of implement that and give it a shot because this is an asterisk season anyway. Like nothing from this season, uh, unfortunately, is probably going to count for much. You know what I mean? I don't see them coming back. And then when they do come back, there'll be no, there'll be no fans in attendance. So, um, that you wouldn't be able to drive people to the game with that kind of stuff anyway it would be more like a tv spectacle like how many ratings can we get you know yeah this whole but, thing sadly has gotten a little bit disappointing i actually just got um uh an email officially canceling my son's uh baseball season and you know for me that sucks though it's devastating about that you know for those of you who don't have kids you need to understand something your experience with your children is such a small window and there's only a select amount of years that you get. And so for, for that to, to be canceled was, and I kind of knew it was coming, but that was kind of one of those things that it was just, it's you, you, there's certain things you can't make up, you know, major league baseball, all professional sports, they can make up over time. They've got decades to make up for it. Unfortunately with youth sports, most kids, they don't, they don't move on to play more. They move on to play less. And so those types of windows being lost are lost forever. And, uh, and that part of your youth is, is, is gone. That is gone forever. So it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a little bit disappointing that, you know, there was no way to, to work around that. And I, and that, I don't know when that problem is going to be solved and that, that kind of sucks. I mean, from a parent standpoint and a family that loves that, that part of their life, that's been kind of, well, and a kid standpoint that, you know, it's, when when a wrench is thrown into your summer or whatever, when you're an adult, that's different. Like, oh no, Brian, you can't go on spring break. You're 50. You know what I mean? Like, but a kid is like being around your friends and going to the pool and doing all that stuff you used to do is like part of being a kid. And that's who can suck it up. I think you know, for the most part, I'm not saying there are people that don't have horrible situations. I'm not saying that there are people that should be quiet about their situation because they're an adult. I'm just saying uh, that it seems to me that the most people I know, like the kids are the ones that are like, dude, I just want to go see my friends. I just want to go outside. I just want to, 
you know, and that it sucks that you can't just be a kid. Yeah. And right now, I mean, depending on each household is different, it's how you temper the information that they're being supplied with right now. We're not getting too deep into how long this thing could potentially go because I don't think that that's good information for them to try to process. We take kind of take it in a day by day um, with, with respect to that. But I mean, it can go on for a really long time. And and without an escape, without some form of escape, you know, it's going to be it's going to be tricky. I do look forward to the next couple of weeks to see where these little things, they've kind of loosened the reins a little bit. It would be interesting to see after loosening the reins if it has a major impact on people. I hope it doesn't. I actually told my wife this the other day. A lot of people are getting really upset with these small towns or, um, you know, these people going to the beaches or the parks. This is the way I look at it. I actually hope that they don't get sick because then that gives us hope. That's light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not saying that they're making wise decisions and some of them are being assholes. The problem right. I have, like with the protesters, is the protesters are so radicalized that even if they got sick, they probably won't tell us because they believe in conspiracy theories. So they'll hide it, right? Because they want, they just want, they're just goal oriented. But I'm just kind of hoping over the next couple weeks that we get some sort of positive, that uh, positive information that helps us move towards, um, you know, finding uh, the light at the end of the tunnel on this thing. Uh, That's really the way I look at all this stuff at this point, because, I mean, Jesus, can't be trapped in our houses forever. No, no, no. But, I mean, I I do think also, like, you know, like what you just said, there's even if that light is far away, there is a light at the end. I think it's just a matter of doing what we can to sort of, curb this thing first that's the most important thing which is what like and had there been a plan in place and had we done this sooner we would have probably already be back out in the world you know what i mean i don't know john i mean again i'm not i will say that when i look at the numbers this is what i see when i look at our numbers compared comparatively percentage wise to a lot of other places in in the in the world Mm -hmm. part of me is like oh my god are we really unhealthy in America, like, is that well, yes. telling us that a higher rate is our lack of 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 concern for our bodies? I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what when I read the numbers, I'm like, huh, I wonder. You gotta think. I mean, I don't have the numbers either, but I gotta think diabetes is more fucking rampant in America than it is anywhere else. You know, you know again, I diabetes, don't know, but it um, obesity. Plant, um, like, yeah, there's, we, we, we neglect convenience. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's the biggest thing for me right now with this thing or this, you know, being inside all the time is the movement. That's where even, even slightly unhealthy people will become majorly unhealthy. If they're yeah. not moving, if your body isn't moving around, if you don't have any kind of access to either move your bones or do yoga or walk on a treadmill or walk outside or ride a bike or you gotta move because you'll just be one big giant dead blood clot at the end of this thing if you don't. Yeah, yeah, that that in itself is uh, that's going to be the second phase of uh, of, potential. Well, how, of people going to the hospital. That'll be the second wave of doctors going. Oh my god, it's just fucking sweaty fat people dying on us. Yeah, well, I don't know if they would describe it that way, John. I think that would not be the medical term. Um, no, they'd be like obese sloths. I can see you again. Uh, sir, thank you for coming to the doctor's meeting today. But, uh, again, we appreciate your input. Let me just tell you. Let me just tell you what I'd do if I was going to a doctor's meeting because I was watching. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Prince and the Revolution put out. Prince's estate put out a, a concert from 1985, a live show from 1985 off the Purple Rain tour. Yeah. To raise money for COVID relief, obviously, but it was free on on YouTube, and um, 
the keyboard player, who I do remember from like the videos and everything, but the keyboard player kind of looks like Andy Samberg a little bit. Um, okay. But he had he always wore scrubs, like nurse scrubs or doctor scrubs, surgeon scrubs, and and the stethoscope. In case you were like, oh, there's a keyboard player just playing the keyboards in scrubs, you were like, oh wait, no, he he might be a doctor too. He's got a stethoscope. So that concert, if you get a chance, please watch it. It's first of all, everyone's like, oh man, it's two hours. Prince plays for two hours. No. Prince plays for an hour and then does 40 minutes of like trying to eye fuck the audience and lick the mic and do all this hump the piano and all this buttless pants, all this Prince stuff. Like it's amazing. It's amazing. But I thought you were going to say the first hour was Prince music. The second hour was an operation done by the keyboardist. The doctor. He he opens somebody up. No, this dude, like Prince, it's so funny. And at the end of the encore, the beginning of the encore, it looks like central casting just sent out the best of their worst, you know, just like 30 people randomly walk on stage and you're like, who, who are these people? One guy's got a tambourine. They're all misshapen wearing bizarre eighties clothes. It's, it's something, man. It's really funny. And, and where also, can you find that? this is on YouTube. Just search Prince and the revolution. Okay. And the problem is I'd kill for HD cameras back then. Cause you're looking at this stuff. Like they pull back and you're looking at the stage from like someone someone's point of view from the back of the the carrier dome is where this was yeah. and like it, it, dude i was i had the camera was up on it and i couldn't tell what was going on i'm like, tell you something. The back of this, like we spent generations watching television like we had fucking cataracts i mean we accepted dude yes that might be what pictures it, it, it's just you know and, and i only say that because you know my fascination with watching old television shows I, it now because of the televisions you have to watch them on now you see where they cheated because they got away they could get away with yeah. such low standard quality but when it's put into high definition quality you're like oh what what the fuck are you guys doing right now and then you realize oh they didn't have to worry about that because you wouldn't notice it because it was such piss poor see. Yeah, I can't, uh, is that behind him is that in front of him what is that so our guest uh, uh, ha- uh, is is uh, ready to go. So Jonathan, oh, is. Okay, you okay, okay, introduce okay. our guest. We will bring him yeah. in. I'd love to. Um, this is a gentleman. Uh, again, I do kind of enjoy this uh, better. Not better. I shouldn't say that. I love when we have our friends on and all that. But like, I like when we have a guy on who I've kind of like, I know barely and then a little bit just through comedy and um, who I, as I can I follow online and I see like, getting progressively more and more popular and probably better at what he's doing. Uh, but this comedian, the only way I know him, uh, stand-up comedian JJ Whitehead is with us today. Hey, man. Uh, how, how are you, buddy? How's it going? Good. How's it going? Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Like we all have, we have friends in common, don't we? Really? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's kind of why I was like, I can reach out to this guy. He knows Dave. Wait, fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. It's that two degrees of separation. And I think I figured out where we had met. But you know, probably just briefly said hi to each other. Somebody, Forrest Shaw was reminding me, you're a you're a Carrie King fan. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh you write for the Jim Jeffrey show, and you were at the show, and I bet yes. you know, we probably said hi to each other awkwardly, like backstage really? while Carrie King was doing his thing, and so and that was our moment. But just like any comedians, if we haven't performed, we it takes us forever to place where the meeting happened. But I think that's, that's a. That's a per, that's an excellent. We've had Matt Kirshen on. Um, yeah. um, first of all, Brian JJ JJ Brian. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever. Hello met. JJ. Yeah. No, we um, haven't. 
Well, we, we had Matt Kirshen on and he, I just mentioned in passing one, we were, used to do this comedy breakfast with Michael Costa up at the Noah's Bagels. And we were literally, I just said, Ooh, I bought my Slayer tickets for the last Slayer show. You know, I bought them almost like seven months in advance or whatever. And he right just on. goes, Oh, you like Slayer? And I could, I felt like he was looking at me like, what a weird thing. And I go, yeah, yeah, man, I do. I love him. <laughs> and, and, and he was like, okay. And that was it. No, no more conversation. So you thought it was a guilt trip thing. <laughs> and then oh, he, dude, he called me out of the blue. He was like, dude, I don't know what you're doing today, but Carrie King is going to be down here um, doing some bit for the Jim Jeffrey show. And we record. I was like, you're a second from my house, dude. I'm doing nothing. I'll be there in a minute and a half. Like I was yeah. down there so quick. And then if we did meet, I'm sure I was just trying to like hide the pit stains. I was just like, <laughs> I got to sit next to him for a little bit while I was tuning his guitar, and I'm like, "This is." There was a few awesome. fanboying out backstage. Dude, I mean, Erickson <laughs> showed up there. Like there were a lot of guys there that were like, "Hey, we we just nodded each other. Like, hey, we know why we're here. Like, I've never been to another taping. That you, I love Jim. I think his show is great, but I've never yeah. been down to sit through a taping. But like, oh, I know. For the you and get, then afterwards, so, uh, Matt was like, "Do you want a picture?" And I go, "Yeah." And I run up and I run up and go, hey, I got tickets to the last show. I'm going to be there. And he goes, uh-huh. Leans in for the picture, leans out, walks away. I was like, yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, straight down to business. Do you remember what he was doing? I still love that we were doing a show about incels. So basically about men in, the, in their yeah. basement podcasting. We were doing a show about incels. And then uh, Jeffrey's just did a little baiting to everybody watching. And we went, go and learn a skill if you want to get laid. Stop complaining about being ugly. And learn a skill, and then Carrie King did a big riff, and then looks into the yeah. camera and goes, "I've had sex." <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's that was, right. That was one of the best days on, on the. Oh on the I, I will say, say that you just described one of the great things about the business that we work in. Oh yeah, someone creates this idea and goes, "Who could we get?" And there's a list of people you're looking for, and then you reach out to them, and you're like, "Look." Uh, it's two seconds and here's what you're going to do. And they go, okay. And they go, yeah. they, they, they schedule their whole day to walk in and do just random shit like that. That's what I love about this business. Yeah. Especially because Carrie probably likes Jim's comedy. Like he's probably yeah. a fan. You know what I mean? Oh, he like, had met him. He had met him before. I think they'd, yeah. worked, they'd done something together before. Um, yeah. So they've known each other for a while. That makes sense. Um, in their little LA uh, adventure. But he was the first one that came to mind. Dude. By the way, John, here's what I got out of that story, by the way. Um, we're in quarantine, which means you have nothing to do because you're trapped in your house. Uh, Pre-quarantine, you just said, I'm just sitting around my house. I have nothing to do. So it sounds like not <laughs> you. Not much has changed for me. Things, I just, a lot less, a, a lot of going, Ugh, I guess I can't go to the store for that. That it's, kind of stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it's comedian's life, isn't it? Laundry is a day. So. Look, it's helped me. It's helped me see uh, Carrie King. It's helped me see Black Sabbath live. It's helped me being around during the day is very helpful. Uh, you know, me. Winnie the Pooh said, uh, "Sometimes doing nothing brings uh, uh, what is it uh, turns into the being the very best of something." So you got your. Well, doing I know nothing. I love you, Brian, because if you're going to start to quote Winnie the Pooh as a, <laughs> and then not even be able to finish the quote, you're like, I, I, Winnie the Pooh. I, I got it. I got. I got it. I, honey, it's, piglets, I couldn't remember. The great poo. Doing nothing often, 
I haven't. I should have just had doing nothing often leads to the very best kind of something. That's what I meant. That's exactly right, though. That's a good, that's a good point. And also, I want to say just really quick, I know this isn't the Matt Kirshen show, but um, he called me, Slayer played their last two, they added, I had tickets to the sold out show, the last show, and then they added a show the night before as a kind of a thank you to the fans. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I have tickets to the last show, and that's what I wanted. And then I see that they're like, we're going to play a whole different set than the tour has been. And I was like, well, that's a whole nother Slayer show. Like, huh, interesting. And, but I was still like on my couch. My wife was out of town. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then Kirshen called me at like 5.30 that night and was like, hey, I'm, I've never seen Slayer. I was thinking about going. And I was like, oh, well, if you've never seen him and we can and he was following tickets tickets went down to like 25 bucks dude so we got 20 yeah. like 25 dollar tickets really decent seats and it was his first slayer show and the second to the last slayer show and the best slayer show i've ever seen i've seen him probably six right. times and that was the best one that i was so grateful that i went to that show and it was all because of him so wow i just want to say uh jj thank you for coming on our show <laughs> and um it was a great she shared a great story so i hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your su- your day <laughs> you're off i'm glad i can set you guys up um i, I say kershen is great like that he's always up for anything yeah i think that's that's what it was because you look at him and you're going you want to go to a, do what now all right let's do it like it was just funny we had JJ, fun where are you from uh, I'm originally from uh, Nova Scotia, which okay. until about a month ago, nobody really knew where it was. But uh, interesting, yeah, trailer park boys, and then that tragedy. But yeah, yeah. salmon, salmon, I, I trailer park boys, salmon, maybe a little bit of scenery, you know, some seaside. Yeah, yeah. Would you, would you consider it? Um, how, did you like live there until you were like 18 and then bolted later than that or, or only a portion? Uh, no, of I'm a military, I'm a military brat. So my father would get posted like every three years. Okay. Um, so sure. coast, yeah. I actually went to high school in British Columbia. Okay. So I'm a oh, you, oh, Canadian military. So he would go. Yeah. Would be different places in Canada. Yeah. I'm sorry. Cause you ended up in the UK, which is not because of the military. I did. Yeah, I just went to Scotland. That's probably the Commonwealth connection, I think. When you grow up in Canada, if you're part of the Commonwealth, they do kind of tell you if you get off your ass before you're 25, they'll give you uh, a, like a stamp in your passport that you can go and travel to Commonwealth countries. So you get a two-year, you know, go and find yourself kind of visa. Um, explain, really? what, is that, what is that? Forgive yeah. my ignorance, but what does that actually mean? The, what, what is that? What is the, you said the Commonwealth? Yeah, the Commonwealth. Like, you know, the territories of the Commonwealth. Okay. They have the Queen on their money. So that would be, you know. Why do they say that you, when you say you get a stamp and they encourage you to go, what does that mean? What's the the concept behind that? Yeah, it's called like a youth, it's like a youth passport visa. Uh, It just means you can go and live. Like, so a Canadian can choose to go to Australia for two years and, you know, just, uh, it's just free. You guys must get it for what? Puerto Rico, <laughs> and um, I think maybe, yeah, yeah, it's just a right to work and travel and stuff, and uh, meet without people. having to worry about visas and, and that kind of shit, right? Yeah, and the same thing like my comedy career started in Britain, like when I went, I went there in like '99 and started comedy in Scotland as a Canadian, and yeah, I Canadians don't have the same worries as Americans do. 
if they work in Britain, well, to renew visas and stuff like that, it's a lot easier for us. Well, JJ, so the, I do find it pretty amazing, though, that Canada is encouraging you guys to go out and get cultured a little bit and see what other parts of the world are like, which is just so you know, um, obviously, when Puerto Rico hit that tragedy, um, most Americans didn't even fucking know it was affiliated with us. That goes to show you yeah. how, how the different yeah. cultures are. And most people don't travel. They watch it on TV and they're good. That's good enough for them. So I find that amazing, quite frankly. Oh, oh very true. I think, yeah, I think, I, I don't think it's only a Canadian thing, but I think Aussies do it as well. Of course, Jim, Jim Jeffries, who I met over in Britain, same, same thing, same age. And we're just, you know, go to the motherland, so to speak. I mean, you exactly. guys have a little bit of, of an adventure. I mean, America, 50 states, you guys can just cross your country for an adventure. So that's, you know, I think it's a, a grass is greener type of thing because I can see from the outside where you would be like, like, a, like someone from Canada who like getting from Vermont or getting from uh, Vancouver to Toronto is no easy yeah. thing by car. That's fucking a nightmare. You know what I mean? That's well, yeah. a beautiful, beautiful scenic nightmare for a road trip you know well but like to be fair that was uh that was part of like whenever my father would get posted uh you know from coast to coast so he was in the air force basically so and the air force you're stationed on the coast of course for the most part um so when we would move we did it by car if we combined it with our holiday so it used to be guess what kids oh you have to live three three years in a in a new place, but we're gonna drive there as well for our summer holiday. So yeah, you like your friends, and off we go. Did you like the car trips at all? Uh, you know what I I do think uh, you know you know you're gonna when you're a kid and stuff you know you're gonna miss all your friends and stuff. But you I got into it in the end. And I think that's what helped me get into stand up comedy because when you go and you start performing and traveling and saying goodbye to an audience whether they hate you or love you <laughs> saying goodbye yeah. All right, see you later next one's around the corner i think you kind of you get into it so i obviously loved it enough that it influenced my career choices i would say you know wow uh what you, uh, what time uh what, what decades was this that most you're traveling was it was it well it was all my ch childhood so all through the 80s you oh, know, okay three years i moved to edinburgh i moved to edinburgh in 99 99 so, okay yeah yeah. On your own, on your own, just on my own. Yeah, to Scotland. Meaning it wasn't it wasn't a family move. No, that one was not a family yeah. move. That was the right. final. Like, all right, so I gotta go. See Do you think that it's all? It's interesting because you moved a lot. You would think that. Do you think that that made you want to travel more, or it really did not factor at all? The constant motion in your life. It, it did initially. You know what? I always think, I wonder if there's a scale though, because I imagine like, like comedians as well. I don't know if you feel this way too, John, but, but I'm sick of, tra you get sick of traveling. And when you still meet people in their forties and they're still inspired to travel and to go through all these things, by the time a comedian reaches his forties, we're kind of like, Oh yeah. Uh, no, I'd rather it's, it's sunny here in Los Angeles. And yeah, can I just stay here and do the shows online? And now I get that wish, and I fucking hate it. Yeah, yeah, you end up because I think you're when you're a kid, you don't think of going through airport security and and lining up, lining up for three hours for an hour and a no, half. No, you don't, and all that. Kind that's of it. So when you when you took care when you when yeah, you took advantage the work. of Commonwealth stuff, uh, where did where was the first place you said you you decided to go? And what was that? 
I actually went to Scotland. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that was a decision because um, I have Irish family, so so I knew I would be close to Ireland. I was going to spend a lot of time in Ireland. But I started with Scotland because I asked my father, who he served in the United Nations as well. He was like a bodyguard Whoa. for the lieutenant governor and stuff in Canada. And I asked Whoa. him, so when, so when you're on the United Nations fleet, you go and travel to Europe and stuff. And I asked him where the where the nicest place was and i said that's where i'll go i don't know anything about europe so tell me that and i'll go and he said edinburgh and he, and he wasn't really? wrong so that's why i went to scotland first and they got that big wow cat. and that was a good choice you know so that's where i started it how how i mean that's it's just so you know i guess i've never talked to anybody who started necessarily maybe kershaw started in 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 the uk but i know um, Yes, well, Kirsten started like Kirsten and I know each other really well from the British country. He started a few years after me, like I pro- oh. probably maybe three years after after me. Wow, but, you know, but we still became good friends because we both lived in the same area of North London. We, he used to live in a place that we used to call the Clown House because it was a big house with a back garden. And everybody knew where it was. So it was always a party on because it had like five comedians living in the five bedrooms in their big back garden. So there's a party there every Friday, you know, out of town comics would stay there. And I lived just up the road with a couple other comics. Um, yeah, so we called it the Clown House. So if you're back from gigs on a Friday night, we used to go down to the Clown House to hang out, get some late night bevies in. And yeah, so that's how I get to know Kirshen. And, uh, and yeah, that's, we started like pretty close, pretty close to each other. And where's the part where you talk a lot about Slayer? Because I'm trying to figure out how we're going to keep this theme going in the show for John. But no, but you, where did where did stand up uh, start for you? Like where, where did entertainment in general become a fascination? Slayer in London. <laughs> oh, you saw Slayer in London? I did see Slayer in London? There it is. And we're back. <laughs> I saw Slayer. Well, actually, well, okay, when, that's awesome. When I lived in East London. When I was, so I don't know if you know who Steve Hughes is, but he used to be a heavy metal drummer, drummed for a few bands like Nazul and uh, Mortal Sin and stuff. He okay. actually toured, All right. and he toured with uh, Faith No More in Europe. He's an Whoa. Aussie as well. And then, and then he left, started getting out of the band life, metal, and became a comedian. So he was the third comedian that uh, that lived with us in in London. Oh. And stuff. So yeah, whenever there was a metal show, you know, we'd go see Devin Townsend. Uh, whenever he was in town, and oh yeah, wow, we saw that's... some great gigs in in London. That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> like I ignored your question, Brian. Man. Well, no, no, it's, it's <laughs> I think it's hilarious that you were able to follow it up with a real story, so that makes it even better. Oh yeah, um, absolutely, man. The uh, no, I was just curious as to where the fascination with uh, entertainment um, and comedy came from, and then what was the stimulus to get you actually to just walk on stage or try to do it one night, and where. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I was just obsessed with it growing up, of course. I think like any, like most Gen X kids, you discover it through Eddie Murphy. You know, you discover Eddie Murphy and wrestling around the same time. You're like, what is this? What is this scope of entertainment that exists? Way outside of what you ever saw before. G.I. Joe collection in my imagination. What the heck is this stuff? So that kind of comes in your life at the same time. And so I knew... Uh, so I went to school with, for health. I took health sciences and stuff at, at university. And I was thinking of, I had to find a way to Toronto because that's the only place I knew that would have stand up comedy clubs. I knew I wanted oh, to do it Jesus. after being so obsessed. Me and my kid brother, we used to watch all the comedy repeats, you know, down in our parents' basement and stuff. And, uh, 
there was no comedy club in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So I had to, you know, I also wanted to go to Europe. So, yeah, but it was kind that of, didn't, that didn't hurt combination. And I wasn't thinking my honest plan was I was going to go have this little adventure in Europe and then go to college in, in the big city like Toronto so that I could see what comedy clubs are like. Like I just, I was like, that's the only way I could get close to them. And then stupid me being a typical North American. I didn't even realize, of course they've got comedy in Scotland. And like my second day at the hostel in Edinburgh, there's like a comedy advertisement there and me and a bunch of strangers. I was with just strangers from different parts of the world as well as you are in when you're in a hostel at the age of 20 or whatever. And we went to the comedy show in Edinburgh. And then the next day I went back and asked if I could start doing it, which was easy. I think because nobody was my, nobody knew, uh, you know, me personally. I do love to have to worry about somebody walking in going, Oh, what's JJ doing? Complete safety net that, that if this was the worst decision of my life, nobody would find out anyway. I'll never have to talk about it on a podcast 20 years from now. Anyway, yeah, By the way, okay. JJ, I, I love the fact that you actually, unlike almost 99.9% of all other comedians, you asked politely if it was okay if you could join the comedy gang. What if, <laughs> what if you're like, hey, guys, can I do comedy? like, no, never. And you're like, okay, and just walked away and never tried it. Well, you know? yeah. Well, man, if you think comedy environments are tough, you try, try it with like tough Glaswegian and Edinburgh. Well, not the Edinburgh accent, but the Glaswegian accent and just their attitude towards you it's very intimidating at so first. i can i can only imagine you, i was going to yeah. ask you from it it's your experience is so different because at least in other than some very specific subtleties in america for the most part there is there's kind of an outline of what comedy is in america so you kind of have that no matter where you'd start do your first open mic there's a general idea you're yeah. you're you're in an area where every country you go to it's a there's their nuances right so how did you know uh, what was that like the first time you went on stage how did you formulate comedy from eddie murphy to an open mic at a hostel in- well, well the great thing about eddie murphy is he was just a great storyteller right so he was a lot of people just kind of wash over that because they think he was just the, as he said himself i'm the mr fuck you man but, he, right, but right. He, he was he was so much more than that. He was able to tell stories. He's one of those original. I mean, people love Pryor as well. I I discovered Pryor through Eddie Murphy. That's just my. So I think I think that's I, I mean, did too. I think that's how it works. Fine. Yeah. I'm not going to lie about it. Sometimes some people from my generation try to go. Oh, I knew Pryor first, and I'm thinking I don't I don't think you did. But your parents I, knew Pryor. Yeah, and then you get to yeah. um, Scotland, and Billy Connolly is this great Scottish oh, community. Yeah. Out of the class in stories, and so you start discovering that in Britain, you got your Billy Connollys, then your Eddie Izzard, who just used to tell fantastical stories, and and that's how you piece together by being in Europe. You start to go, if I learn to tell stories, I can do them in front of a Dutch audience or a French audience. You know, I, I can travel around with this. You know, because they don't want to hear about politics or anything, but they love. Everybody goes through whatever any kind of social story. So did right. you start right out of the box just telling your personal journey, life stories? Is that what you did? Well, you don't got much to talk about when you're 21. You think That's you do? Right. <laughs> yeah. So I believe, like, I used to talk about music a lot, you know. And, yeah, with that false, young, you know, that young kind of, uh, I think my opening was comparing myself to uh, the Hanson Brothers. 
or always, hands, always. Hands, and I mean, and I talk about the Spice Girls, so so I had a lot to learn. Okay, it was more writing universally first before you start to tell somebody. Like, voice. And how was it? How yeah. was it early on? Yeah, it was good. I mean, I it went pretty well for me at the start. Mm-hmm. You know, I won a televised, I won like the BBC Comedy Award in Britain, which is this big televised talent show. Uh, so first ever foreigner to win it. It was kind of like uh, America's Got Talent kind of stuff here. If you had a. How long did comedy was that for you? That was my second year. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the fuck? my second year. Yeah. So at this point, you're walking around going, yeah, prior who? What? Richard? Yeah, yeah, I, what? I, oh, I, I, like, yeah I, won it, I won it with my Hanson material and all. Jerry yeah. Hall. Man, did People. I ever tackle Jerry <laughs> Hallowell in my set tonight? Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, hilarious. Dude. Do you. So, okay. So for the first two years, um, did you, once you did it, did, did you tap the vein and were you trying to do it like, you know, six shows a week, seven shows a it week? Was, guy, or what was, was all I did. I actually had a friend who was going to come over and he wanted, we were going to go to Holland together. Cause you know, you got, like I said, you got this, you get this Commonwealth visa when you're a young Canadian. Um, and so, and it's only for two years. So you just want to go everywhere. You're like, okay, we're going to go over. We'll do two months in Holland, you know, just bartending or whatever, just picking up whatever. Trimming, trimming weed in Holland or do do whatever to make the money. Yeah. So we had plans to do that, but unfortunately, I had to tell him he was flying over to join me. Actually, so I was doing the. He was going to join me for Holland, and I, and I just had to tell him, dude, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm actually not going to do it. And he said, Oh, but we're going to do Portugal and then Holland and Sweden. And I, and I was like, I think I might do it in a couple of years as a comedian, uh, but for now, I'm going to stay here on someone stay. else's dime. Get paid. And just and just do this comedy thing, and then uh, he actually ended up moving to Scotland and said and stayed with me for like maybe six months before going back to Canada. But but yeah, I wow. changed my mind on the fly, basically. So actually, you know, again, that's interesting. Like you know, for us, for, like for me as an example, when I started, I started in Wisconsin, and there was a couple clubs within Wisconsin, all kind of the same, you know vibe and then you do a little bit down in illinois and chicago and that's really it the rest of it you'd have to kind of consider yourself a working opening traveling comedian i'm listening to your story and i'm like man you know your your idea of going to get gigs is going into different countries like it's it's to me it's just mind-boggling that you're in a very short period of time you're, you're, you're reaching out like you're going into different countries very early on which you know, we laughed about winning something within two years, but in a, in a weird way, that may have also accelerated it because of that, I think. Yeah, it does. It, it did a bit. Of course, that, that always helps. It gives you a push. But yeah, and don't forget, too, even within Britain, there is there's so much comedy. You know, there's so much. Stand- it's like hugely popular um, and it's not as big as uh, as America, you know, so you can. You can do like two months of gigs in the northeast of England alone, you know, or you could, you know, you could be like, you got Newcastle, Leeds, Manchester, Liverpool, and Birmingham. You got all these major British cities with like populations of millions. How does one get an hour and a half of each other? But how does one? Yeah, that's the thing. They're all close. Yeah, they're all close. So it's kind of like. And you know you got a couple hours travel, but really you're playing like a you're playing New York City, and then you're playing you know whatever Boston as well. But are you? But how are you getting? How are you getting booked for all these by phone? Do you have to get recommendations? Are you taking the risk and traveling to these cities 
and just walking in and saying, hey, can I go up tonight? Like, what was the process? Well, I remember the day, uh, I remember, I think, sure, there's a time, was there a Time Out magazine? And there's still Time Out. In the- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it used to be the listings used to be all in Time Out magazine um, in the 90s and early 2000s. So you would just and they had a full comedy section. I know they don't anymore. I think they took it away like eight years ago or something. Now there's the Internet. But now the Internet. So I'm sure comics probably do it the same. But the way I did it was I was being based in in, uh, Edinburgh in Scotland. I just picked a couple of weeks for London you know, in the distance and you're, if you're doing open spot tryouts and stuff, they're not paying you anyway. So it's not that big a risk to them. They just hit them up six months in advance and go, I'm going to be there for these dates. Can you just give me a five minute tryout spot? Interesting. And, uh, just like anything else, you just keep trying to network, 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 I guess like meet people who are running gigs and stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like it works a lot like it does over here um, in America. But I just, like Brian said, the, Going in, like the difference of like Milwaukee to Chicago is like, boo, you like the Cubs, boo, you like the Brewers. Yeah. Whereas, like, the difference of, you know, yeah, southeast of London, northeast, whatever, different parts of London, but also then you can go to Spain and Italy and like, yeah, yeah. comedy in places yeah, but, that see, but in some ways, you're almost giving them too much credit because when you do go to Spain and Italy and all this, it's a lot of expats that live there as well. So ah. you're, you're turning up to a gig in like, even if you do Dubai, like you do, do gigs in Dubai and Doha and Abu Dhabi. I mean, to be perfectly honest, the audience is still 70% uh, British, American, Canadian, Australian. Really? Okay. Wow. So, they're doing business. so this is like the big night out for them so so even though you're rocking into this foreign culture there's little communities of all these foreigners that can't wait to see you can't wait to go oh where are you from in canada or where you live in los angeles yeah. What's that like and so they're uh they're chomping at the bit for uh contact from from letters from home basically yeah yeah so yeah, there's true. So some ways it's a little bit it's, uh, it could be easier you know or, or less I'll tell you right now, that's one thing I have learned in my years in America now. I just, I make fun of the city right away. I just open with whatever whatever I can say about their hockey team or their baseball team. I just get it out of the way and I laugh at them while they boo me and then I get into it and then we all have a good time in the end. And I'll bet you sometimes they don't boo. Sometimes they go, yeah, man, boy, do they suck or what, like, they'll go <laughs> yeah, along exactly. with you. It's the one yeah. thing that can bond them. Like I was in Atlanta and I must have just, I think I spent about four minutes just making fun of how they lost their hockey team. Their hockey team moved back to Winnipeg a few years ago. And I just, yeah, I just started, the Jets again, started right. doing, but then after a little while, you just keep mocking them and then you'll get a dumb heckle. And then you can just say something like, oh, I can see why they moved kind of thing. or whatever. <laughs> and eventually, eventually they all come oh, on your team. Yeah. That's hilarious, you, so dude. when you won the that that show, yeah. um, was that one of the do, how? What was it like afterwards? Did you get the yeah? That's right, motherfuckers. Here I come. Or, or and then I, it was like yeah. reality sets in of like slow your horses, Captain. Or did good times just keep a rolling? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a good a good live career at start. But the part of the one of the prizes was a sitcom, and me and my oh, friend. Blew that. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I remember the JJ Whitehead. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, we were like, so there was, so with, whenever you win something or, you know, it's just like anything, if you get this big pop 
in your career, sometimes you got to be careful that you're ready. And I think me and my my maniac traveler gypsy friends that had formed at this point in my career, in my very early career, where we're still like sleeping on couches and just loving the romance of being road crazy road comics with you know with international accents. Um, I don't think we were ready for the sitcom. What was your, what was your sitcom idea? BBC sitcom too, so they buried it quickly. I've still got, I've still got it. Long what did you? Uh, would, are you willing what to about? What you came up with your idea? It was, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, there's the sirens. So uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, a guy called Mark Wooten who's quite a. He's like a movie star now. He and I, yeah. we were shut-ins, not too far from a comedian's lifestyle. We were shut-ins who were uh, cheating the system all the time. So we were doing things like burning DVDs or stealing. Uh, you know, we were like it was called web rats basically, and we were like computer nerds that were in our thing and and uh, that's you know making money through dodgy ways and not unlike the IT crowd that came many yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. something like that only it was it was kind of darker and creepier and it was if anything it was an ill-fated canadian's attempt to do dark british uh loathing humor but uh <laughs> you know we might not have been ready for it so so anyway those are some of the perils that come with with early breaks in your career but you um know. was that was that hard to process though at that age though because i mean when you're younger everything seems to be so much more important or so much harder on you when it either succeeds or fails or did you have good balance at that point and you kind of understood like look this is a long shot if this show was to get made anyway yeah i don't know if it's good or bad because you know you do meet i like i do I don't know if it's a negative thing, but you're right. I'm, I've never been in a rush for anything. I've always gone, okay, it'll be all right. Whereas I do watch some of my other friends, and we all have friends who are comedians really happy. Like, this is only going to happen now. If it doesn't happen now, it's never going to happen. And sometimes that attitude is better. You know, it puts more pressure on the, on yourself to, to establish something and then the people who are working with you in your career to get something done for you. So I don't know. So I don't know if that's the right attitude but yeah it was definitely mine of like whatever I'm, I'm, well, like here, i've only lived in los angeles for five years and i should have moved here i probably should have moved here like 12 years ago you know so but you that. but but now you're here with a pretty sweet gig you know what i mean you didn't just move to los angeles like how i moved to los angeles with no <laughs> with nothing and nobody and no means to find a writing job or anything i mean you moved yeah. here and then Pretty quickly after that, Jim Jeffries got a show, and I assume the way you talk, you're talking, it's like you, him, Kirshen, you guys all knew each other anyway. Yeah, we knew each other from the birth circuit, which definitely got gave us the opportunity. I mean, the show's yeah. canceled now, so but it, but it wait, was, what? Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. I like how it, 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 it's like it's like Schrodinger's cat kind of thing. Like a lot of people don't know it's canceled yet anyway. Any, any good comedy show that has clips like this lives on on YouTube for a good couple of years before somebody realizes, oh, these aren't new anymore. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, this, <laughs> maybe the show's not being yeah. made. Um, I'm, honestly, can I tell you something my brother said to me once? He goes, hey, uh, this, was in ninth, this was in 2001 or two. Maybe it was even later, three or four. He said, hey, have you heard of this show Seinfeld? <laughs> Yeah. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, dude, I've been watching it. It's pretty funny. I go, you know, it went off the air in 1998, right? What yeah, the fuck he, is the matter with you? Well, like, oh, I don't know. They think they What's just had a really good yeah. costume department. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> really got grainy, old school look. Shit. 
really well done. It's about time they did. I mean, they did an '80s show. You know, you had the they '70s. Shot it low definition. Camera. Really impressed with this '90s show. Now, you said you didn't come to LA until five years ago. <laughs> what, what, um, what was your? You, you were talking about your your love for stand up, and then obviously you get this taste of television. Then you get this offer to write a TV show, which may it doesn't sound like that was your main plan to start with. But then you start dabbling in these areas. What kept you uh, overseas during that whole time? Did you just did you did you shift your focus back to stand up, and that was it? And that's why you stayed so long. Basically, yeah, I think I was I was pretty locked in as a stand up, you know, and I was just yeah loving it. Um, and you are you really are if you base yourself in Britain, um, you you can be very busy as a stand up comic. You know, there's a there's a lot of work, less travel hours. Um, of course, I didn't have America to compare it to. I didn't know, but I but I do know that I think the system in America is a lot of times you guys are flying out on Tuesdays to do morning radio, Wednesdays and Thursdays, aren't you? And then you're doing the weekend, and then sometimes you do radio before you leave on a Sunday. And I was well, like, well, whoa, well, I've never that- heard of the radio before on a Sunday, but I think okay. I've heard. Usually, you fly in a Thursday night, so you can be up early on Friday. Right. If there's a show Thursday, you're there Wednesday night or Thursday morning still. Radio Friday, and then TV if they have it. Yeah. So the British circuit. Now I didn't know this at the time, like for comparison, but I just knew that I, that I loved the life of generally in the British circuit. Uh, you go out on Thursday, you do your first show Thursday night, and you don't do radio and promotional stuff. It's all down to the clubs to promote you. So you're not as it should be. Yeah. So you generally then you can get up on Friday at your leisure and the town is like a ghost town because everybody's still working. So you usually have. So that's your first day when you get to comedy bond, you know, with your new brothers for the weekend. You know, you had one you got one show in the tank. You get to hang out on Friday in an empty city, which is really cool, especially in bigger cities like Birmingham or whatever. Then you do that show Friday night and then you got the crazy Saturday that you're either recovering from a hangover or you know, meeting other people. So it's just a really fun uh, weekend. So you just, you do kind of get addicted to it. Yeah. Paying attention. Is um, Sorry, JJ, is the circuit, did you primarily find yourself working, um, I don't want to say locally, but within one country or is the, is, or do, is the, the goal to work as many countries as possible? And is that feasible? Forgive my ignorance. Cause I really don't know how that process works. You know, when John was talking about Spain and Italy and all these other France and all these other countries, is that really the end game or that has nothing to do with it? That's a separate kind of, Well, I don't think it's the end game. I mean, it's the live circuit, isn't it? So it's just, you know, they're just really cool gigs. Um, you know, depending on who the bookers are, you get relationships with different bookers. Most of your work is still within Britain, but then you'll be flying. But, you know, you can still you can fly to Belgium or Holland or even Dublin, Ireland, you know, to play like the Laughter Lounge in Dublin, which is amazing. You're, you fly there in an hour and a half anyway out of London. So that's faster than you could drive to northern England. Um, so it's just a lovely little manageable, you know. Yeah space and so, is, air, is airfare over there kind of reasonable yeah it's really cheap it's, it's really oh. dirty especially flying between uh really between close european cities i mean Ryan, ryanair flies to uh ireland and they notoriously undercut it it's like six bucks <laughs> i think they i'm not sure if they haven't passed a whole bunch of budget rules though like they make people stand up for the flight or something i don't um, know jesus man yeah and, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? 
on a flight that's six dollars, does the captain get on the the uh, intercom and be like and start with the phrase? Well, if we make it, we will be landing. At a <laughs> if like, we do land, it's going to be in Ireland. <laughs> six dollars. Yeah, Dude, they, they get pretty cheap, man. I had Is a there friend of mine that told me about a time that he got on a plane over in India, and he literally thought he was going to die. He said they loaded that thing. He goes, there were people sitting in the on the floor, in the aisles. They overstacked it. The thing was shaking the whole time they were flying. Yeah. He's a really mild-mannered, like laid-back guy, and he's telling me this whole story. I'm actually getting sick to my stomach, and I wasn't even there. Yeah. I'm scared. Oh, I think I'm going to die in the story. That's how that's how he's describing it. Yeah. And afterwards, I was like, dude, that had to been. He's like, I, he goes, it's the only time in my life that I was like, please land this fucking plane. Just please land. How, how, and, but he, to him, he was like, most of those people, that was normal. I know. Like, yeah. Want it out. yeah. You're the only one looking around freaking out. <laughs> yeah. they, got, they got two pigs and a chicken on their lap. <laughs> this is fine. This is my Wednesday commute. Where were some of the coolest places you got to uh, uh, when you were over there that you got to go? You're like, this is pretty sweet. I'm glad I chose this lifestyle. You know? <laughs> um, oh, well, there's lots of really cool gigs. My favorite gigs in Britain are the uh, they're called the Glee Clubs. They're like dotted around. Uh, well, there's three that come to mind now. Uh, but there's one in uh, in Cardiff in Wales. And my favorite Glee Club is in Birmingham. And the best part about them is that they also have they're huge, like a 350 capacity, but they do music and stuff after the gig. So it's very social and it's, and it's in this entertainment quarter. Whenever you find a stand-up comedy club that's in an entertainment quarter and you're able to mingle with the audience and make new friends and, and hang out, those always tend to be the better weekends than when you're on the outskirts of some city at like a converted old gas station that somebody's calling a comedy club. And you're, yeah, yeah. So you can tell the contrast. So you like you you like uh, hanging out with uh, your with your fans after the show with people that came to the show. That was probably one of my. I did read those books. If that's what you're going to get to when they say because they say never hang out with your audience. You always do the show and then and then leave. So oh no, mystery. I each his own man. I don't. I mean, it was it was probably the alcoholism and 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 drugs and stuff. But yes, I tended to I tended to all through my twenties. Definitely hang out where I was gigging and have a bit of a party. Were there yeah, some countries that yeah. you liked? I, I, I did a gig, an expat gig in Seoul, South Korea. Yeah. And it wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. I was so, it was the first time as an American that I was like, I had kind of learned about expats and this whole thing. And the reason why I soured on a little bit is they, they took a dump on that country so much. And the whole time I was there, I was like, why the fuck do you live here then? If you, if you hate, like, what do you, it made no sense to me that they were, they isolated themselves. And I was kind of disappointed because I found it to be an interesting and unique concept of, you know, yeah. having your own little communities with which we have in America, you know, so I, they're, I, all, they're all complaining, but they're all making more money than they could yeah. make back in America. though. Okay. Correct. Yeah, which is, which is why they're there. But I mean, did you find some places? I don't want to, not the negative of that, but some some of the other places in other countries that you were like, this is really cool. Oh yeah, well, there's tons of cool ones. There's lots of ones that go over overboard though, because like if you do so being based out of London, but you fly. So if you do like the Philippines, which I was supposed to be doing this, that was my tour this month. That was where I was, oh. I was supposed to record an album. Going to record an album in Kuala Lumpur and Manila and stuff. Now, those places get out of hand because uh, Westerners 
tend to f- start to feel they're above the law there. And I yeah, think a lot of because they haven't been back to society. Because <laughs> you'll have um, American or Canadian or whatever that's just been in Manila, you know, since the 90s and started a comedy club and they're just, they're bossy. I had a gun, this guy made, a, made one of his doorstep pull a gun on me for a laugh because he thought I offended somebody in his audience. So I was like, all right. So you can get a lot of overreaching. And um, can we, let's go back to that for a second. You combine pull a gun on me for a laugh. I'm just curious where the connection yeah. is. That the, between well, it was more of a power trip for him. Basically okay. I offended one of his audience members. Um, and he decided that he had had enough of me. So he had me out on his balcony with his door staff come up and uh, pulled a gun on me. And luckily I was with two other comedians, uh, British guys, and they were able to defuse the situation and we were, w- were able to escape. But it was a very, what the fuck? This guy was originally from, uh, he was originally from Scotland, but you know, he just had been living in Manila for too long and was able to boss people around. Oh my God. The, when I was in Shanghai once the, the club promoter for Shanghai, he picks me up at the airport. He takes me for food before taking me back to the hotel and he slapped our waitress. What and the that f- was my, yeah, that was my first impression of this guy. He's like an American guy. And, you know, he's just brash and he's like been in, in Shanghai forever and he promotes music and everything. But he, this is my first experience in China. We're just sitting down for sushi or whatever and the waitress got it wrong and he's like slapped her. I was like, what the hell is this? So there's a few, uh, there's a few. What the fuck? Yeah, I think a sickness takes hold of some expats if they've been away for too long. You know, yeah. you start yeah. to feel a little above the law. What What did, what, what, just out of curiosity, how did you, ha- when that happened, what did you do? I was pretty shocked. Um, I remember uh, the other comedian I was with, this lady named Jojo Smith, we sometimes remember it. We drop each other a line, like, that was kind of fucked up, wasn't it? <laughs> I was pretty shocked, and sh- so was she. And, honestly, <laughs> and we did not, like... Yeah, I'm sorry for any, if there's any millennials listening, oh, well, you should have stood up for that. <laughs> no, like, that's not how shit works. You want it to not, work. Not, <laughs> if you're just meeting people who run gigs and stuff, and all of a sudden somebody does something that you find kind of offensive, you have to weigh up, you and know. in a foreign country, and you're the outsider, and there's a lot going on there where, like, you'd have no idea what happens if you go, hey, guy, how about you don't be slapping any more waitresses? Yeah, hey, yeah. I can cut your head off and leave you for dead in an alley. Like oh. I'll, uh, I'll help you out with this, JJ. Dear millennials, um, if if you already just found out that the Jim Jeffries show was canceled, imagine being a foreign <laughs> country disappearing. You don't give a shit, okay? So they had to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. yeah that's crazy, though. But that, I mean. Do you, I mean, is that what you, with this, the new album you had, you said you were getting ready to record a, an album this weekend. You have one coming out, don't you? Yeah, we got one coming out now. Um, so yeah. you're going to record another one right away? No, this was supposed to be, I was, this was supposed to be the album. Um, basically, the album that I'm releasing is all the records that I did on my last tour. So oh. when I was doing the last tour, we recorded all the shows. So we recorded Dublin and, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, Stockholm Eight and London. cities, yeah. And, uh, and basically, I was recording it so that I could learn the show or whatever, hone down the show. And then I did the end yeah. festival last year. And so we were talking about making this album and like many albums, it should be one setting. You know, you're like, here you are at the, whatever the chuckle hut in whatever. I don't, yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know. And then, but basically because of the shutdown, we just realized that everything's 
every the whole makeup of sound comedy is going to change and like and even us stand-up comedians we're all evolving even though we're sitting in our apartments going crazy we're all writing material that's starkly different from what we had you know on our minds three months ago so then i talked to my producer and i said well can we still can we do an album made up of all these all these destinations so that's going to be my album now so that you know some materials there so we're using so you got 10 minutes from boston we got you know it's all different material but it's basically my whole show yeah. and we're taking pieces out of each town so we've got uh, some from stockholm from glasgow from boston calgary sydney um london so forth. i think i think for yeah not being able to do a full set uh in, in one location to record i think this is a phenomenal idea do you know what i mean there's nothing wrong with it it's like essentially like a band putting out an album where this song was recorded in fucking Hawaii. This song was recorded in Florida. This song was recorded, you know, yeah, in front of a live audience. But that's what I was hoping. I mean, yeah, like I'm a '90s music fan too, so I'm a big fan of like, you know, I, you know, they weren't calling it punk rock anymore, but even bands like Blind Melon and Alice in Chains and stuff were putting out stuff that you would change. You, they would change venues on you and yes. stuff. You'd yes, go with it, yes. and I thought. Well, if we're going to be stuck in this lockdown and I had all this stuff on my mind and I was just so close to doing it, I'm not going to let this get in the way. Maybe I'll do it guerrilla style, um, which is great because when this lockdown ends, I mean, who knows when we'll be back in comedy clubs, but I don't want to be talking about the stuff. I that's was the thing. Is, that's, the, that's so. the reason. That's why to me, it's even, even if the stuff was really underdeveloped or whatever, and you were just looking to put on an album, doing it this way is, is better to just get the material out of there. Cause you're not gonna, we're not going to come out of this and go, guys, dating is weird in Los Angeles. Like no one, it's all going to be like, I didn't shower for 66 days. And I grew this thing out of the side of my fucking head. Like it's going to be, it's going to be crazy quarantine. I mean, it's going to be overkill to a certain extent. And then the cream of the crop, the people with the original takes and the really funny things will rise to the top. And I mean, like and especially usual, here in America, not only do we have this whole like you know uh, self care situation that's happened with us all personally, but also it's a big political year. So the makeup, the social makeup of America is going to change so much this summer that unfortunately for all of us comedians, if we did have a big body of work in our tank, it is the I think feel I feel like the time limit on it is uh, more stringent than it is any other. Dude, you know, I just put out an album. It'd been, I put one out in 2011 and I finally put out another one in this year, April 28th. It came out and I was like, felt sort of bad at first promoting it in the middle of this. And then I was like, fuck it, dude. If people don't buy it now, this material is not going to last through. Hey, what was it? That's like that's like you know, comedy before the quarantine. That's like BQ or whatever like you want to call it. Milestones that you just you yeah. just hit. There uh, it is, and now I got to keep going because you know, yeah, I felt that way about my last album. Was my last album, you know, was before uh, the you know we had this huge Me Too movement, which is very poignant and pivotal and very influential on society. But if you listen to my album that came out in, like, <laughs> right before it, two thousand seventeen, like 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 it just came out two thousand seventeen, just just right before I would have I've been seriously got in trouble for most of the jokes. Well, you know, it's so true. We talk about that all the time, JJ. It's like, how do you, 
I mean, you can watch television, movies, you can read people's writings and specifically comedy and jokes and short films that many of us have done or even social media posts. You know only what you know at the time. And whatever society was accepting of at the time, even if it was a little bit wrong, comics pushed the envelope. And I don't, what I always fear is when comics have to feel like the need to over apologize for things that they did 10, 15 years ago when they were. It's a joke. At the end of the day, it's a joke. Oh, you are not pushing society towards, you know, sexual assault or rape or whatever. Look, I was never a fan of rape jokes personally before the Me Too movement. But my point is, I don't think you can judge it that harshly 10 years later. You just move on and you fix it, if anything. Yeah, you want to move on. I think we also need – I think we all need to be find a place where we can stop thinking that our interpretation of something, if it makes us – the only. Is not the only interpretation. So just – you know, because it's it's like that's not always been the hard thing with the art form of comedy versus music. Because music, you could you could write and sing a violent music song about something horrific, but but the an audience can just interpret it, or they'll come up to the musician afterwards and go, "I love that song. I used to sing it with my father." Beautiful. Yeah, all, they've got all these different ties to music. You know, even like you know, even born in the USA, like there's like songs like that. But yet in comedy, if somebody interprets it offensively they can they sometimes get really energized and want to end you for it and yeah. i wish instead you, you could just start going look there's there's a whole bunch of different ways to interpret that you can you can interpret me as the as the vehicle for the joke you can interpret me as the person who believes that joke whatever but that's your interpretation you know not mine um i'm okay. trying to leave it out there for you so that's yeah I'm, it's a hard thing for people to get over sometimes but while while it's great like Okay, you interpreted that joke differently than I had intended. Now you don't like it. Okay. Yeah. Um, there are about two million other comedians you could find online on YouTube for free albums out right now, specials, wherever, that you could go for comedy. You don't have to ever look at me again. Why yeah. would you ever, once hearing the joke you didn't like, why would you ever, ever, ever come towards me, after me, come to another yeah. show, email why? me? Why is yeah? Why has your your you don't like me, and yet you've just invested all this time? Yeah, in, in I don't find angry. a band I hate. I don't find I, a band I, I hate. Follow them around all summer and then boo them from the front row. Well, yeah, keep going online and telling them that 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 last yeah. song sucks. And- Dear Mick Jagger, here's what I didn't like about the last Stones album. Well, there's 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 two things I'd like to bring up based on that conversation. Uh, one of them is obviously. You know, you, you have close ties to, you know, the Jim Jeffries gun stuff that came out a couple years ago. Obviously, anybody that knows Jim knows that he can handle his shit. He's not going to worry about all the, uh, whatever backlash, which I'm sure he probably did, especially in this country. And this country hates it when anybody who doesn't talk like them and is not from here tells them anything about their guns will rile them up twice as much if John and I said it. But I also saw recently um, I don't. I can't remember what comedians were going at it. It may have been Patton Oswalt and some guy that classified himself as a right wing comic. And uh, there's a couple of these right wing uh, side. And I, I'm not bashing right wing comics, and I'm not bashing Christian comics. But there's a common theme between those people that constantly are blaming the media and society of censoring them, but yet they've got this massive following in the world that they wanted in. And I don't understand how they're still a victim. Does that make sense? Like they're yeah, still bashing. It's like you get the audience you get. If I talk about kids, I know that the majority of my audience is going to be parents. I can't be mad 
if a 12 year old doesn't want to listen to me, I can't blame yeah. them for not liking my material. Does that make sense? I entirely. Well, I think sometimes, I mean, that's part of our, that's part of stand-up comedy too, isn't it? it like uh, sometimes having an oppressor is good fodder to justify your, you know, your anger or your, I got to push back. Jesus. They're coming for me again. You know, and even this is even if there's even if it's a grudge that actually you hold, but instead it's funny. I don't know if you're watching the Michael Jordan documentary, but see, <laughs> even he gets more. Even he had to lie. Even the best player in basketball had to come off stage to his own dressing room and go, "Guys, this guy just just made fun of me about there. Let's get him." You know, like so, yeah, it's a good game. Let's fucking destroy him. <laughs> I think the difference, though, JJ, is the fact that these people are so public about it. And they're creating yeah. they're creating a fanaticism with people that are not in the same game that they're in. If that makes any sense, they're they're trying to engage the audience, and then it just becomes like this: "Yeah, fuck you, fuck you." I'm like, that's not what comedy is. Comedy's not a "Yeah, fuck you, fuck you." Yeah, comedy is I, I like this comedy. or I don't like this. I'm gonna laugh at your stuff, or I'm not gonna find it relatable, and I'm not gonna laugh at your stuff. And that has nothing to do with your political views. It can be whatever yeah. your comedy is. Some people just don't like you. They don't like your comedy, you know? Yeah, it can be timing. It can be the, 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 the point that they discover you at if, if they're not in the right mood, <laughs> you know? Yeah, whatever it's all subjective do. shit. So that's what I'm saying. If yeah, you don't yeah. like something, move on. There are so many comics out there that yeah, if you really want comedy to be in your life, you don't need to stress over one guy you don't like. And, and, and JJ, back to the the um, the Jim Jeffrey stuff. I think you were already working with him when that kind of became like a big. The gun stuff was kind of a big yeah. viral thing well, at that I know, time. Like on behalf of Jim, like I even know for Jim. I mean, he's really proud that he wrote a great, great little piece of comedy. I don't know how long it is, but it's probably full length, maybe ten or eleven minutes long. Lovely piece on gun control. And of course, he didn't. You don't write it pers- purposely going. Oh, of my new hour special, this eleven. This minutes, is the eleven minutes I want to shove down everyone's throat. You know, it doesn't yeah. even dawn on them, and then, uh, and the crazy thing is, every time there is a gun, uh, you know, a violent episode, especially in America, boom, yeah, brought up again, and thousands of people discover it for the first time, and he gets all this fresh new hate. He sometimes gets the hate before he knows of the tragedy, because he'll just be like, "Oh yeah, you and your gun can." For, for a lot of people, it, it, it the tragedy just happens, and then so does Jim Jeffries' routine. If they've never seen it before, you almost have to clue them in. I think that happens for a lot of people, though. This, and, you know, that's the plague of, of, of society right now, too. If you can dig up everything old is new again, if, the, if you want to complain about it. You know, if you want to say that it's hurt your feelings. You and can nobody... Try. So and it's nobody a really hard... Dates. What's that? I was going to say, nobody reads dates. You can post an article from 2015 and go, look at this, and everyone gets outraged, and you're like, dude, this already happened, and it was already resolved. You need to take this down. Yeah, they're so quick to have their buttons pushed. Yeah, and, and go over the top. So, so uh, what um, ultimately for you? So what did what did um, finally get you to land in Los Angeles? What was the what was the full backstory? How did it all play out? Well, it's actually speaking of the devil. It actually is a lot on Jim uh, Jeffries because I we were talking. Uh, I was, you know what? He just called me out for complaining about something I shouldn't have been complaining about because I was doing a gig. I think it was the Glee Clubs in Birmingham. Like I said earlier, one of my favorite clubs. And they, they would have me back to headline like four times a year. And I believe I was talking to Jim and he had moved. He's been in Los Angeles for probably 11 years now or something. I was yeah. talking to him and I was complaining. I was complaining 
And I was going, oh, this fucking Glee Club again. And I was saying that I had gotten too bored with the circuit. And I think he just detected, like, maybe you should get out of there and come to America. So then I, so that's when I decided, I remember deciding to apply for the green card and uh, shaking things up a little late in my career. But, uh, you know, ah. I definitely put it down to him. I definitely put it down to he, I mean, he didn't have a TV show or anything at that point. He just said, look, come get your green card and come or get your visa. Sorry, your, your working visa come over and I can maybe throw you a bone here and there with a gig, you know? Um, and yeah. then, so that was the, that, that was enough of a reason to come over. And then yeah. it's grown since then. So, so what did, so when you first, uh, when you, had you been to Los Angeles previous? I had been, when Jim was thinking of moving here, I came over with him a couple of times, like in 2011, 2012 or something like we, we popped over and I was here as a kid. Cause of course, when we lived in Victoria, British Columbia, um, if we if my father didn't get posted, so when we were living on the West Coast, uh, a couple of summers that we weren't getting posted to move all the way to the other coast, we would drive down to Disneyland. Okay, and then drive, and that was our summer holiday. So I have That's been a sweet couple, drive though. Couple trips. It's long. The Whitehead family it is long. The Whitehead family did some long budget friendly uh, holidays in advance. Very <laughs> much. Very much the way. Let's just say you and your family really got to know each other over yes, the years. We know each other really well. We've, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about quarantines now. You guys were quarantined on trips every summer, man. In a station wagon. I can't even think of like not an Airstream van, but just one of those tacky eighties. You know, I remember minivan? it got stolen. Yeah, like a tacky eighties minivan. It just it got stolen out of our driveway once in the eighties, I think, with by scissors. Somebody just jammed. <laughs> And I was able to steal it. That was our that was our family car. So yeah, it's just it's us and a cat on a leash and a, <laughs> and a dog in the back seat that can't that gets car sick. Uh, uh, just traveling down the highway. So that was how many, how many siblings? How many uh, siblings you have? I have a brother and a sister. Okay, wow. So three kids, man, Jesus. Three kids, three kids, a cat, a cat on a, a dog. leash. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! That car must have smelled. Uh, <laughs> I'm, sure it was, I'm sure it was terrible. <laughs> they were used to it, though. They were in there the whole time. I love yeah. the fact that you guys took your family trips with the pets because I mean, what, what, did the pets get the pets don't get to go to Disneyland? So where the what the heck? Like it's I know they'd have to stay in the hotel room all day. I guess <laughs> I just. Uh... I think there was a little bit of lying going on there because back then I don't think there was a lot of pet friendly hotels or motels. Or well, no, you don't tell anybody you're bringing the, the pet. I know. Just bring I it mean, in. when your when your holiday is paired up with your move, you've got to take your pets with you, man. There's no you yeah because yeah, you don't have a home. You don't have a home. Yeah. So, yeah. So, no, no one can stay back. If it was the journey that we're doubling with the move, yeah, we had all the pets with us. We had one time because that's why I said the cat on the leash because the cat on the leash always blew my mind. You know, just so that because a couple of times before we learned to put a cat on a leash, <laughs> the cat just took yeah, off. That fucker boots out of nowhere in the middle of Ohio oh. or whatever while you're trying to travel across <laughs> the country. You're, you better stack up for the night. So, so we had the cat on the leash. I remember one time we were trying to put him on the leash. We were in a campground, and I think my brother, I think it's my brother's guilty of this, he kicked a football. And it came right when my father and I are trying to get this. You know, I don't know if you're aware, but cats don't don't love being on a leash. <laughs> well, when I'm trying to get the cat on a leash, it kicks a football. 
comes right in the mix. I think it hit my cat. It hit me. The cat's claws came out. So for the next five days on the road, me and my father had like cat. <laughs> what a miserable, like, like a national lampoons experience. Oh day. my God. Dude, exactly. A lot like that. It is like not. That. It oh, is it, a, a leash for a cat is is prison. It's fucking prison. They it's like get that shit off me. I mean, they're barely. I'm I'm a I've had cats my whole entire life, and I try I've tried to love them and to get them to love me back. They'll give you a little wow. bit. They'll give you a little yeah. bit, but they constantly let you know. I swear to you, dude, if you fuck with me too much, I will kill you. I will kill you, and that's just that's the deal you make with the devil when it comes to cats. Yeah, they you have know, a lion brain. What's that? They have lion brains. They have little tiny yeah. lion brains. They think they're lions. And they're like, I'll fuck anything up. You're like, like you're get cat. me the fuck out of here. <laughs> I, uh, well, I'm impressed with Forrest Shaw. I mean, if you guys know Forrest Shaw, because like, he spent years. So he drove here from Florida. Whoa. So, you know, and I'm sure Eddie, of course, he's road, he's road uh, wary as well. And uh, he had a little cat, his little Bella who I think just passed away or who did just pass away recently. But Bella used to just do free roam in his car when he was, he would just, yeah, his little cat would just walk around the dash and everything. I'm just trying to pick, he's like going down the motorway at 90 miles an hour or whatever. That's like fucking (laughs) curious. All all I can imagine is all it takes is one car to backfire or scare the shit out of that cat. And I can just imagine, (laughs) could you imagine driving in the freeway, look to your right and you just see a cat, Oh, take it over, guys! Face. face like alien, swerving <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> um, so you had some experience in LA, well, but you never actually decided this is where I'm going to hang my hat. So we like to call this uh, when you first get here the Cocaine Diaries. What was like the first couple months? of your eternal vacation like where did you live what did you do when you first came out here or were you like look man if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna get my shit together right away or did you kind of treat it as an extended vacation to start um no i think i was pretty committed i think because you I were already pretty- working pretty like you were already at a stand up you didn't yeah, move here and then go oh i should be a stand-up so like you had a work ethic yeah, yeah but, but you didn't. But LA is a completely different place to acclimate to, though. That's true. I didn't have any relationships really with anybody. You know, I had to. I got to know the Ice House, and you know, and a few Comedy Magic Club. You know, and you start. So you start building up a few gigs. But yeah, overall, like gone are all the convenient like weekends of Britain. Because yeah. that's why, that's one thing that you learn when you're in LA. You're like, oh, this isn't a circuit. This isn't a comedy circuit. Of this is just a mishmash of yeah, stuff city. Yeah. and most comics here if they really want to go and make money they all of them go back to the markets that they came from really you're not building in your market here so so in my case that was like oh i better go back to britain in about five months to make some money again and then come back and i think a lot of guys do that so you guys are like, yeah, i'm gonna go, go back to texas for a while or whatever so there was a bit of that and I had a relationship with clubs up in vancouver Vancouver and uh, Western Canada. So that was my, so yeah, I think I got stuck in knowing that I was limited to go to markets that I had worked in, but I still had a couple here and there to go, you know, and then, uh, and I stayed with Jim Jeffries for the first couple of weeks. And then Reese Darby was nice enough. Reese Darby from, yeah. Reese was awesome. 
he might be one of the most underrated, hilarious human beings I've ever seen or talked to. Yeah, he's that so, dude is one hundred percent. He's so he's one of the other boys that threw me a bone, and of course he was um, in uh, Studio City. He had a great house, and and he had to go back. Either he went back to New Zealand or he was filming somewhere and had his family with him. And he let me house sit. He let me house sit for him for like the three months. So I stayed with Jim for probably a month. And then I was in Reese Darby's house for three months. And that was kind of my intro to, uh, to this, to the scene here. That's a pretty solid intro. Just the living situation. Yeah. It was pretty nice to have your friends. look. So I wasn't really uh, throwing rent out the window yet, you know, right. and the place that I'm in right now is a little studio apartment. It's tiny. It's just off of Hollywood Boulevard. And Orlando Leyva uh, gave it to me. He who is uh, he goes. He was based here, but he wanted to move in somewhere with his missus. So it's just timing, you know. And I got to know him. And then Orlando said, "You know what? I'm I'm outgrowing my apartment, so you can move in there." And so I so I took that over. Um, right. so really, the kindness of the comedians. You know, you meet some comedians who are great. You meet other ones who are very clicky and who you know you'll never be friends with. That, that's part of it. That's like with anything. You know what I mean? You just gravitate to the people that aren't fucking doofuses and clicky and weird and annoying. Yeah. And Yeah. And eventually, yeah, the strangers all help you out, help you get established. So yeah. Jim alluded to this earlier, or one of you guys did, that you were writing on the Jim Jeffries show. Writing, um, again, it's it, it, it hasn't been a consistent theme. Obviously, you're writing for yourself. I've always talked about a lot of comics struggle. They want, they want to do other things in entertainment. And one of their greatest struggles is the fact that they've gotten so used to their bubble and writing for themselves and doing everything for themselves that it becomes very difficult to adapt to a writing environment, to a creative environment for someone else where you're not the star. You got to, you have to give them the home run. Like did you, did you struggle with any of that? Like where, where did, where did that all come about for you? And how has that process been? I think I was really excited uh, and stuff because the other times that I had been part of writing teams were all temporary. So I, cause I'd done a few shows in New Zealand as well. And any shows in Britain that you do, you're generally in and out like, you know, for three days, it's like a three day, it's a one show assignment for the week. You're really meeting writers rooms and stuff, but I was ex- pretty excited to be part of a permanent one where I knew I'd have to, I like, I actually, I had no problem. Uh, being like early for work, even though I thought, oh, the comedian in me loves to sleep in and and you know pretend that my brain is on. Maybe I'll dream up a joke while I lie. Here. <laughs> 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 I've never heard anyone use that rationalization. <laughs> oh, if I just keep laying here, it'll be subconscious humor. Maybe something about how I keep laying here. I don't know, but this is the genius of my art form. Uh, but uh, but yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I was uh, I was really keen to get going, and and it was. It's such a great experience to write. And I mean, writing for a comedian like Jim Jeffries is it's really not as hard as I imagine writing for a lot of other people is because you know if something comes out of his face. He you know he'll uh, he knows how to he knows how to make a weak joke funny. So you're not afraid. I was of say, is there? But the, and also knowing him, he, there's probably a little bit more. Hey man, this fucking sucks. Fix it, or a little bit more. Uh, yeah. um, well, there, there is a couple of times where. A joke personal to him, and you know that you've been able to write because you're aware of it, and you can see his eyes kind of 
get crushed as he as he reads it. He's like, and it's a little too personal. I don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just gonna I'm throw it your way. You know, so what um um was it did Jim have full say on staffing or did you actually have to go through some people and 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 get it's yeah, also- I still had to do the, yeah, I mean, we did all the interview process. The way he said it worked, like, because it was a blind application, and then uh, basically, yeah. yeah. I, I submitted. So <laughs> blind is such a funny, like, there's a name we I don't know. There's two guys I know. Guys, uh, pick up so this one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, don't get me started. I'll, t- I'll t- tell you some other things about yeah. mine. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get it. I get basically, it. Basically, uh, but basically, I think I well, I got in the top twenty, and then once he knew that I was in the top twenty, I'm pretty sure he made sure I was asked in sure. for an interview and stuff, and took it from there. So, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's who you know. Sometimes is that? Is that well, <laughs> well, it's not sometimes. It's not sometimes. And you know what? That doesn't just apply to Hollywood. That applies everywhere across the board. Every business, every place, everything you do, from you well, sports all the way up to the presidency. Friendships but, in this business too. Your friendships in this business only grow because you are in the business together. Yeah. So it's not like you're it's not like you're being thrown a job, you know, well, that you, that you don't know how to do. So that's what I was gonna say. Even when someone like Jim helps you, like let's say you're in the top twenty, and he helps you get. You still had to write the packet, come up with the material. It still had exactly. to be good enough that somebody else was like, it can't be Jim going. Here's two of my buddies. I just want them on the show. Like. You yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like Jim can confidently say that Matt and I have worked in the business for a long time and stuff. And, and, and you remember not exactly. being ready. And I know he feels the pressure too. Anybody feels the pressure anytime they're trying to form a sure. team to write jokes for them. Yeah, um, and you remember it not working when you did that pilot. You know what I mean? When you had the opportunity yeah. to do, you, you knew what it was exactly. like to not be prepared. I had been like 15 years to go, all right, I know I know the angle that I want to write from now. Yeah, so. the next time this happens, I'm going to be ready. Yeah, yeah, entirely. You don't know that you're going to feel that way when you're 21, but you do realize that. Yeah, it's you- crushing at the time, but... Yeah, yeah. The uniqueness, the uniqueness of, a, of a show like that, um, a lot of people talk about the desire to, to be a staff writer and be and writing for television. And then they, they share the other side of it, which is the long grueling hours and, and all that stuff. What was your experience with all that kind of stuff on, on that end? Yeah. Like I was saying, I didn't find it long at all, but I would also say if I could just say of the, say there's if there was eight, like eight writers of the eight writers, I think the stand up comics didn't mind the hours at all. Whereas I would say the more, the ones who came from a more improv, improv background or whatever, they all seem to uh, want to get out sooner. But I think standups, I think standups crave the opportunity to write under pressure and to be told like, you got to do this now. Like, Oh God, I better show that I'm worth. There's, there's something in our approach to the skill of writing jokes is a bit different. So like I was saying, so I'm writing with like, I would say Matt Kirshen and Forrest Shaw, um, you know, and I could always count on them to be there uh, as standups. So I think we all, we all loved it. We all loved the opportunity to get in there and, and, and write. So, you know, there's not uh I don't know. Maybe if you were writing for somebody that you didn't like, <laughs> you'd hang your head. That I mean, want to go in, but it definitely helps. And so we had we had no problem wanting to churn out the jokes. I've I've actually heard people talk about writing for like late night guys back in the day that they did not care for and that were tyrants and pieces of shit as humans. Right. And it is. It's harder. I mean, also 
if if you like him, that means he's more accessible and he's probably friendlier to his staff. And you have there's more of a let's work shit out instead of a if this isn't funny, you're fucking done here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it was it was pretty great. I mean, and also the format of our show, we were trying to write we would, we would write slowly about two topics a week. You know, doing these desk pieces. And then everything outside those desk pieces, if you were working on whatever Brad Pitt's going to be the weatherman, so write a few jokes for him or whatever. Um, it was all kind of fun things to write about. There was no pressure with it. I think maybe sketches or scripted would be a little bit more pressure. But we would know if we're writing a yeah. on steroids, you know, or on whatever, Sesta Foster or something, we would know that we're going to write this great desk piece, but any fodder that falls on the floor, we can generally hold on to for some stand-up ideas and uh, push ourselves creatively in different directions anyway. So it was, uh, it was quite, I think it was a really fun, fun experience for us. That's awesome. Well, I mean, as you know, um, to quote our favorite band Slayer, what they used to say was, I don't, I don't have anything. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. If, I was like, you must have looked up lyrics. I'm going to like I should have just brought up the Dalapoo again and fucked that up. And <laughs> called it's that like, Slayer. It's like the Dalapoo says about Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some fucking earplugs, man. So um, I, I actually have my Slayer ticket on the wall. Dude. Right behind this computer. Did you go to that last show? No, I didn't get the, and I can't remember what I was doing, but I think I was already I wanted to go. Wanted yeah. much to go. But uh I have a question for you that I don't ask comedians enough and I and I wish I would because I always find it fascinating. Um are you into for your own personal entertainment, do you crave more comedy or more drama? Uh like wh- what do you crave to when for your escape? When it comes to down and turn on the TV, I mean it, it ebbs and flows, doesn't it? But I mean, we've already mentioned the Michael Jordan. Uh, Dude, so I want I, that to be on every day for the rest of my life. Yeah, I know. Final two tonight, baby. So I know uh, I'm going to cry when it's done. Fuck. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think sports are a good escape, generally. But of course, I lean towards comedy. I mean, I do love. I love. Uh, you know, if you don't want to watch TV, the, the thing about drama is that you have to focus. I guess that's it. If you're going to turn on, you know, which is maybe because of who I am. Like, maybe because I can turn on, like, Tommy Boy was on TV yesterday. And as soon as I stumbled onto it, and it was like the opening credits, Tommy Boy, you know, he, he was showing, he was just running. I forgot about the opening sequence when he's got yeah. the kid. The kid's again, Tommy. Shut up, Richard. I, yeah. And then it comes to Tommy, and I was like, oh, Tommy Boy's on. And I knew I had to, I was going to cook. Uh, you know, you're going to cook, you're going to clean, you're going to do whatever your household do. And I, I, I leave Tommy boy on and catch bits here and there and have, so I guess I always come back to comedy. Now I don't know. I don't know any drama film. That I Putting can, on apocalypse now going to do the dishes. Oh, like, what happened again? Did she, what's why? Hey, he was happy when I left the room and now he's angry. I don't, I can't. So I, I don't know, but maybe non-comedy people would be too confused too. They'd be like, you're just going to well, leave. Chris Farley movie on and you think you can just pick it up wherever it is every but time you in the room but it's a movie you've seen a thousand times like you know what's happened between the scenes you're watching and you yeah. know the ending so I, I feel like gist, but I yeah. also know the general gist of like Mission Impossible 3 and that was on the other night and I just went ah, it's not it's not uh, it's not drop in worthy yeah there you, you know, go it's only only fun. comedies are drop in worthy you know just to catch a minute or two here and there 
After the amount of time that you've put into comedy, and you've obviously written comedy as well, do you? Is it harder for you now with new comedy to find something that you truly appreciate versus being able to fall on back on all the stuff like the Tommy Boys and all the other types of comedies that influenced you that you appreciate? Have you? I don't want to say that we've become prudes, but is it harder to entertain you? Are you finding it harder to find entertaining comedy, new stuff? Television no. and film, or are you a pretty easy one to do that? I don't. I don't think so. I think there's always good comedy, but now you've got me searching. Like, what's the newest? What am I watching? Yeah, when you try to think about it, that I've gotten into. But you know, I I I really enjoyed Broad City. You know, which is another Comedy Central show uh, a while back. But uh, yeah, no, I don't find it difficult. I also find that I think it's not that I have higher standards, but I kind of like. I love attempted comedy just as much. So I, I can enjoy watching watching some styles of comedy fail yeah. for hours at a time, you know, and go, oh, right, okay, this is that. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Maybe it's just, just we get some sort of sickness in our brains, like comedy sickness, and somebody can tell me, oh, do you, you watch, like, what is the Matt LeBlanc sitcom, you know? And Man I can, with a Plan? Yeah, there it is. So I can put that on in the next room, and I can. I'm laughing at that for very different reasons. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, laughing at it for different reasons than uh, somebody else might. Yeah, it's funny. I I I loved Afterlife, and I would I, even though there's drama elements to it, I would still classify it as a comedy. And it's funny. I yeah. could sit down with people in my family and be like, "What the fuck are you watching? This is what." And yeah. I'm like, oh, this is this is great. Afterlife is so funny, dude. Because what yeah. I, for me, I love I love how the comedy creeps into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just being thrown out on a platter, you know what I mean? And like, so Derek, like, too. Yeah, all that other bullshit you had to get through to get to that comedy. I'm like, uh, yeah, I love the structure of it. I love how it was built. Yeah, you it's, know. Yeah, well, it, Gervais has that nice way of making you uh, forcing you to make an emotional uh, investment. Before he kicks you in the nuts with with the joke, which is yeah. great. You're not yeah. I mean, I thought Derek was awesome. Like the the the, the and the actors he uses, they a lot of them played roles in both all three four shows that he's done. And man, fuck, it's just all it all works Very so well. Too Carrie Godleyman and oh, like, my they're God. all they're all from the comedy circuit over in Britain. As oh, well. are they really? Yeah, really good stand-ups as oh, well. Man. If you look them up, you'll see some like because uh, Carrie Godleyman I think plays his wife in Afterlife. Yeah. Um, and, and the nurse and Derek, and then oh, she she the nurse and Derek, and then yeah. Uh, yeah. So and there's a there's a few others too. I think Rasheen Conaty is has been in a, maybe a couple episodes. She's on fire over in Britain. But yes, very talented. I think most most of the people who are in his shows are stand ups. Yeah. What do you think right. the what What do you think the roadblock is versus American comedy bleeding more successfully worldwide versus? British comedy having a harder time breaking into America. What do you, what have you, have you, <laughs> you think didn't, didn't Fleabag just win like the, no, I'm talking about like, I'm talking, talking about like just in general, like oh, they're, 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 they're in general. I, I mean, look, I Fleabag is an amazing show, oh, but God. I can tell you right now, if I was to reach out to my family circle, mostly in the Midwest, they'd be like flea fucking what? Like they don't, it may have won yeah. a lot of awards, yeah, well, we've got terrestrial channels and stuff. That's exactly why. Yeah, I bet you all of our families could tell you, like, you know, what, whatever. I 
like two and a half men or men. Oh yeah. Plan. Yep. Anything on anything that's on network television. Any garbage. <laughs> because they're like, because my parents even like they've got my Netflix password. And and also if I say to them, but they started watching Homeland and they're like, ooh, and it's pretty it's edgy. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> And they're like it's it's a Netflix show, and I was trying to go. No, no, it was it came out like you know seven or eight years ago. And they're like, no, no, this is Netflix. And I'm like, no, no, it was on. Uh, it was on like Showcase here. That's not. This is this is Showcase might have made it, honey, but this is on Netflix. So I'm like, that's not what I'm trying yeah, to. Yeah. And unless I can talk to them in the language of uh, you know of uh, CSI or uh if it's not nbc cbs abc then the, yeah what is this 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 hbo thing <laughs> they do what in your so, five years here have you traveled uh have you traveled done a lot of stand-up in the united states and and, and covered uh, a, a large portion of it yeah I, I opened for jim on tour so i've been everywhere we've been uh, yeah we've been pretty much everywhere i can't think of many you know it's been cool i mean i it's uh he plays big big he plays big gigs so as a callback to what we started at at the start of this conversation when we were like yeah i do like to hang out with the audiences and stuff (laughs) that happens a lot less when you're you're on the big jim jeffries shows because we played played the warfields in san francisco or you know theater in uh in boston and stuff and and or the wilbur theater sorry in boston and anyway, you're playing these big venues. They're a lot less social afterwards. It's mostly us going to a bar and yeah. getting drunk. But those are my experiences. You know, we've been the, we were just, our last gigs, we were just in Vegas. We did Vegas in February and we did New Orleans and Tampa Bay in, uh, in uh, January. On uh, Tampa Bay, there's where I made fun of them for the first half of my uh, <laughs> my set because they lost half of their baseball team to Montreal. They were going to. Tampa you know, Bay, you know, home and home with Montreal, so I was able to. That audience make, didn't even know they had a baseball team, dude. Is, Tampa Bay yeah. can fucking slide off for baseball. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I've gotten to know, uh, I've gotten to know a little bit, a little, a little bit about America. Interesting, yeah, no. man. That's cool. Every everywhere we've gone. Well, dude, thank you, man, for sharing uh, your uh, your life story with us. And let's <laughs> and, and and plug. I mean, so when when is the the new uh, album? Or is it out? Or or? Well, we're hoping it's not out yet. It was uh, it was due to go on pre sales on the twentieth. So, like in three days, I'm having one problem. I had a letter. I had them sent to me yesterday because I there's a track where I use the c word uh, a lot frequently in this. I, I basically it's. And the name of the track was Coffee Cunts. So, <laughs> it, was me, it was me talking about how I, I don't understand coffee and I can't get into the coffee scene. And there's all these people. Anyway, the track was called Coffee Cunts. And I thought I was doing uh, the label, the, not the label, but the, the people who have to, uh, they have to approve your album. I kind of asterisked out the, the you in the end. So I had coffee, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Asterix, asterix, and I thought, there, that'll that'll, <laughs> be <okay."> that'll appease him. <laughs> anyway, hopefully, this is just a very small uh, problem. But I got a letter from them yesterday saying, um, "We will not allow that kind of language on our cover." And I thought, I thought I got around. I thought I was fixing the language. So let me ask you something: the, that word, to, from from the world that you were in, is completely different than the way we take it here, right? 
It's like yeah, funny. Like uh, coffee cons can just be a prick. Coffee pricks or coffee douchebags or yeah. coffee hipsters. Yeah, you can be a cunt can be just a it can be a compliment, you know, in Britain. It all this depends fucking on fucking cunt here. Look at this yeah, fucking uh, cunt. He's a cheeky cunt, isn't he? Yeah. You know? It's I think it's like I used to say it when I was in college, like, oh this son of a bitch over here, you fucking son of a bitch. Like, this yeah, like exactly. It's, it's all it's, it's, it's all endearment. Yeah. I mean that goes back to interpretation, doesn't it? Because if, <laughs> if somebody you can be in public with somebody and go, Oh, this is this is my mate. Rick, he's a great cunt guy. You know, you can say that, and then somebody can overhear, excuse me, did you just use language that I find offensive? Do you know what that means? And like, do you know what it meant? Yeah. <laughs> Does it, it didn't still, mean is it, has it, is it still a prevalent uh, term used over there? I mean, obviously, okay. being aware, okay, so, but it's you, and you obviously knew when you came over here that we viewed it completely different as Americans, right? Yeah, you do over. Yeah, and I overstepped definitely a couple times. You know, I definitely because you. Yeah, you learn like, oh right, there's no, there's no wiggle room. There's very rarely wiggle room. Sometimes there is, but but then a few times, especially in this town, I can think of. There was one gig I did at a winery, like a wine, like a an outdoor. Uh, Fucking James loaded Frey. with cunts. You know James Frey. <laughs> yeah, I know that he, show. That show that's out like towards Malibu and it's like in a garden. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's, it's very light. It dropped 30 degrees when you're driving up the hill. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I was in the middle of my set and uh, this table, there was a table that was just, they were awkwardly placed and, and it was kind of holding up the show because they were awkward. I could see them talking and stuff. And so I had to hold the show. I was going, what's wrong guys? And they're like, we don't like where the table is. And I was like, well, just, you can handle it. Why don't you pick it up and move it forward? And then they then they start talking, and it's taking too long, and I'm losing the audience. I'm losing the rest of the audience. And then I went, "Come on, you lazy cunts, let's do this!" And just and I lost all of the audience. <laughs> no, no, I was just it was just a playful term. I was it was just it was in the same league as "Come on, you lazy pricks!" or "Come on, come on, you lazy fellas!" That's much. And and I said, "I said, come on, you lazy cunts!" And I just felt like. I felt the wind come out of the outdoor venue. The outdoor room, yeah. The rest of this show isn't going to go as well. And you all think that I've said something horrible, and I didn't. I didn't mean it that way at all. Which, is, you know, which is funny. Style. I mean, I totally get that. But at the same time, most of it, it is common knowledge for those mm-hmm. that 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 you do mean it is that it is different to you than it is to us. But yeah, it is funny how people draw on a line in the sand. And be like, we really don't care where you came from or what you think. It doesn't play yeah. with us, mister. Well, also you don't sound super British, man. So when you yeah. say it, you sound like you're North American and then it's like, yeah. Hey, guys, I, try to, I don't say it with the sharpness that a North American says it. I'd like to think that I learned how to say it properly, but yes, yes. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> the value tends to outweigh. Yeah, <laughs> the truth. But you know, and we also we live in a zero to sixty kind of environment now. Anyway, like offense, offense troubles faster than logic, anytime. So yeah, Ew, very oh, good point. You know, think about it. It's okay. We'll move on. Now it's like he's he's despicable. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a long time ago when I first started doing comedy, especially doing in the Midwest. I brought up the name Jesus once and I saw the buttholes pucker inside the pants and I was like, not going to do it. It's not worth it. Like I, I'm like, there are certain, yeah. 
there are certain ditches it's not worth digging for yourself to try to see it, what it's going to take to climb out. That's yeah. a personal challenge. I never, I, I took that one off the list immediately. And it, to my attitude always was, it for me, it would never have mattered how good you think a joke would be if you were going to sneak something in there that you know that those people just, they built the wall right in front of you and it's not coming down, you know? Yeah, 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 tread, tread very carefully. So yeah. I didn't even know what to say, even when I replied. So th- it was written on my cover with the asterisks is, and I thought that makes it, safer and then they're they have a problem with it i didn't even know how to reply in the email i was like can i spell cunt in the email or should i just say the c word or how do i address this because i just had to write this back this long-winded so are you saying that not only can i have not have the c word with asterisks trying to make it less offense but i also can have the c word or can i have the c word and you were more offended that i tried to have the asterisks <laughs> in the well- in the end, I just changed the track to I don't like coffee. So. <laughs> 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 it, takes my, <laughs> it takes the most super plain, like, I went from crazy coffee concept, to, I don't like coffee. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Can you guys accept that? All right. That's really, what What record label is uh, is it coming out on? It's not a, I'm doing it independently. independently. I just hired a producer to help me, help me. I mean, God, like I love him. His name's, so so this guy, Robin, he's, he's gone through everything. Robin Collins, uh, he works with kids in the hall, uh, but he agreed to do this for me. Um, And so I just handed him, as as you can tell, I handed him like hundreds of hours of, And I told him to be picky. I was like, if you start listening to a gig, if you're listening to like Cardiff or something, and you just think the sound isn't that good, then just throw it out, you know, and go on to the next city. Like we're just yeah, looking huh? for a good, juicy. And I think he was even more thorough because sometimes he'd be listening to it. And I'm like, are you, are you sure? Are you sure it's going to be quality enough to audio wise? So he went through everything. He did a great job. So it's independent, but I have to clear, you know, how you upload it to TuneCore or whatever, and then they have to get approval from iTunes and from Spotify and stuff. So that's, ah, that's whoever, the their body is, whoever that person is, it's yeah. coming across their table and they're like, nah. is, he, is he saying cut? I don't know. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, I think you got a new bit out of it. So you got that going. Dude, for yeah, that's a great story. Let's see. Yeah, that'll be the salesmanship. As you'll see, I have an alternative cover with me tonight. It's like Poison had to do with the tongue. <laughs> <clears throat> um, dude, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Um, oh, thanks for having me, guys. That was uh, we'll, uh, we'll I'll get the link from you. We'll put the link up when we post this. And um, guys, you can get it's called Comedy Before Lockdown. I uh, live before lockdown. Live before lockdown. Live before lockdown. Yeah, kind of just define um, all these live things. Yeah, kind of a different take of the different cities, which I think is interesting and unique, and would be a, a worthwhile listen. And the pre-sale starts on the twentieth, so May twentieth. So we'll have that. Uh, yeah, it'll only be you. five bucks. It'll be five yeah. bucks. Yeah, and then uh, so if you do collect comedy because well, I know a lot of people just wait for it to be on Spotify or whatever. But uh, yeah, but then a lot of people do want albums and they want the they want it. You know, there there are people that definitely buy. So that's great, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You guys, I'll, I'll I'll buy you a beer as soon as we're allowed to be out out in the world. As for soon real. as we can go to a bar. <laughs> yeah, you're good cuts, you guys. You guys are good cuts. And, and listen, um, uh, JJ, if you got a little extra time on your hand, this is just, I'm going to throw out a suggestion for you during these time, this time of crisis. 
it seems like there is something you can do uh, that can help a lot of people. And that is, if you wouldn't mind doing a tutorial video on how to put leashes on cats, that'd be really fucking helpful. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> just, and then it, it starts, and then it just cuts to scratches and blood. Like, uh, uh, anyway, I've been JJ. This is my video. <laughs> Tune in next week when I'll show you. I'm going to lasso a rhinoceros for no reason. It says, the description says... How to put a leash on a cat, but the title of it's called "Has anyone seen my eyeball?" I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it's just this title yeah. is just a scream. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking some time out to share such an amazing life story with us, man. Best yeah, I love it. Know. Best of luck to everything else, man. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe.